Book 4 of the Elric of Malnibane series, The Sleeping Sorceress. Introduction Quoting from The Chronicle of the Black Sword For ten thousand years did the bright empire of Malnibane rule the world by virtue of her sorcerer kings her dragon hordes, and her golden battle barges. From Imrir the Dreaming City, capital of the Isle of Malnibane, the power of the Bright Emperor is radiated over all the lands of mankind. Though the Malnibaneans were not true men themselves, they were tall with eldritch features. They were proud, malicious, sensitive, and artistic, with a vast knowledge of sorcery. They were familiar with many of the supernatural realms of the higher worlds, and knew that the wonders of earth could not compare with those of the higher worlds. They regarded their late-born cousins of the young kingdoms with arrogant contempt, reckoning them fit only to be plundered or enslaved. But at last, after a hundred centuries, Malnimine's power began to wane, as she was shaken by the casting of frightful runes, attacked by powers even greater than she, until all that was left of the Bright Empire was the Isle itself, and its single city, Imrir, still strong, still feared, still the mercantile capital of the world but no longer the glorious power she had been. And so it might have remained, save that it was not destiny's way to have it so. For the next few centuries, which was called the Age of the Young Kingdoms, petty empires rose and fell, and new nations had their moments of power. Shigoth, Maidach, Sir Alim, Ilmiora, and others. And then came a great movement upon the earth, and above it, the destiny of men and gods was hammered out upon the forge of fate, and monstrous wars were brewed, and mighty deeds performed. And during this time, there rose up many heroes. Chief of these was Elric, last ruler of Malnibane, who bore the rune-carved black sword, Stormbringer. Hero perhaps is not the right term for Elric, for it was he who turned against his own line and led the sea lords of the young kingdoms in their mighty attack upon Imrir, an attack which resulted in Imrir's destruction and theirs. But it was all part of fate's plan, though Elric was not to learn this for many years. Elric of Malnibane, proud prince of ruins, last lord of a dying race, became a wanderer, loathed and feared throughout the lands of the young kingdoms. Elric of the Black Sword, sorcerer, slayer of kin, despoiler of his own homeland, crimson-eyed albino, who had within him a greater destiny than he knew.
Now, there was a certain sorcerer of Pantang called Thelib Kaana. Elric, whose vengeful emotions had already brought such grief to himself and others, bore a grudge against the sorcerer. After an incident concerning a citadel which sang, the sorcerer escaped Elric and Jacor, a western nation ruled by Queen Yashana, who loved Elric, as did Thelib Kaana love her. Elric, presuming Thelib Kaana's return to the island theocracy of Pantang, set off in chase. But in Darajor, at the port of Grimuva, he learned that Thelib Kaana had taken passage aboard a merchantman bound for the port of Trepasaz in Lormir, a nation on the southern continent. Moonglum, of the red hair and the wide grin and the short stature, Alric's constant companion, suggested that they forget the chase. But the Prince of Ruins would have none of that. They must go to Lormir and be revenged upon the sorcerer at once. Book One The Torment of the Last Lord Chapter One Pale Prince on a Moonlit Shore In the sky a cold moon, cloaked in clouds, sent down faint light that fell upon a sullen sea where a ship lay at anchor off in an uninhabited coast. From the ship a boat was being lowered. It swayed in its harness. Two figures, swathed in long capes, watched the seamen lowering the boat while they themselves tried to calm horses, which stamped their hooves on the unstable deck and snorted and rolled their eyes. The shorter figure clung hard to his horse's bridle and grumbled. Why should this be necessary? Why could not we have disembarked at Trespassaz, or at least some fishing harbour boasting an inn, however lowly? Because, friend Moonglum, I wish our arrival in Laudamir to be a secret. If Thelib Ka'ana knew of my coming, as he soon would if we went to Trepassaz, then he would fly again and the chase would begin afresh. Would you welcome that? Moonglum shrugged. I still feel like your pursuit of this sorcerer is no more than a surrogate for real activity. You seek him because you do not wish to seek your proper destiny. Elric turned his bone-white face in the moonlight and regarded Moonglum with crimson, moody eyes. And what of it? You need not accompany me if you do not wish to. Again Moonglum shrugged his shoulders. Aye, I know. Perhaps I stay with you for the same reasons that you pursue the sorcerer of Pantang. He grinned. Now, so that's enough debate, eh, Lord Elric? Debate achieves nothing, Elric agreed. He patted his horse's nose as more seamen, clad in colourful Tarkashite silks, came forward to take the horses and hoist them down to the waiting boat. Struggling, whinnying through their bags, muffling their heads, the horses were lowered, their hooves thudding on the bottom of the boat as if they would stave it in. Then Elric and Moonglum, their bundles on their backs, swung down the ropes and jumped into the rocking craft. The sailors pushed off from the ship with their saws and then 
bodies bending began to row for the shore. The late autumn air was cold. Moonglum shivered as he stared towards the bleak cliffs ahead. Winter's near. I'd rather be domiciled at some friendly tavern than roaming abroad. When this business is done with the sorcerer, what say we head for Jadmar and or one of the other big Vilmirian cities and see what mood the warmer clime puts us in? But Elric did not reply. His strange eyes stared into the darkness and they seemed to be peering into the depths of his own soul and not liking what they saw. Moonglum sighed and pursed his lips. He huddled deeper in his cloak and rubbed his hands to warm them. He was used to his friend's sudden lapses of silence, but familiarity did not make him enjoy them any better. From somewhere on the shore a nightbird shrieked and a small animal squealed. The sailors grunted as they pulled on their oars. The moon came out from behind the clouds and it shone on Elric's grim white face. Mater's crimson eyes seemed to glow like the coals of hell, revealed the barren cliffs of the shore. The sailors shipped their oars as their boat's bottom ground on shingle. The horses, smelling land, snorted and moved their hooves. Elric and Moonglum rose to steady them. Two seamen leapt into the cold water and brought the boat up higher. Another patted the neck of Elric's horse and did not look directly at the albino as he spoke. Captain said you would pay me when we reached the Lormirian shore, my lord. Elric grunted and reached under his cloak. He drew out a jewel that shone brightly through the darkness of the night. The sailor gasped and stretched out his hand to take it. Sjomberg's blood. I've never seen so fine a gem. Elric began to lead the horse into the shallows and Moonglum hastily followed him, cursing under his breath and shaking his head from side to side. Laughing among themselves, the sailors shoved the boat back into deeper water. As Elric and Moonglum mounted their horses and the boat pulled through the darkness towards the ship, Moonglum said, That jewel was worth a hundred times the cost of our passage. What of it? Elric fitted his feet into his stirrups and made his horse walk towards a part of the cliff which was less steep than the rest. He stood up in his stirrups for a moment to adjust his cloak and settle himself more firmly in his saddle. And there is a path here by the looks of it, much overgrown. I would point out, Moonglum said bitterly, if it were left to you, Lord Elric, we should have no means of livelihood at all. If I had not taken the precaution of retaining some of the profits made from the sale of that trireme we captured and auctioned at Dacos, we should be paupers now. Aye, returned Elric carelessly, and he spurred his horse up the path that led to the top of the cliff. In frustration, Moonglum shook his head, but he followed the albino. By dawn they were riding over the undulating landscape of small hills and valleys that made up the terrain of Lormir's most northerly peninsula. Since Thaleb Ka'ana must needs live off rich patrons, Elric explained as they rode, he will almost certainly go to the capital, Iosas, where King Montan rules. 
he will seek service with some noble, perhaps King Montan himself. And how soon shall we see the capital, Lord Elric? Moonglum looked up at the clouds. Yeah, it is several days' ride, Master Moonglum. Moonglum sighed. The sky bore signs of snow, and the tent he carried rolled behind his saddle was of thin silk, suitable for the hotter lands of the east and west. He thanked his gods that he had brought a thick quilted jerkin beneath his breastplate, and that before he had left the ship he had pulled on a pair of woollen breeks to go beneath the gaudier breeks of red silk that were his outerwear. His conical cap of fur, iron and leather had ear flaps which were now drawn tightly and secured by a thong beneath his chin, and his heavy deerskin cape was drawn closely around his shoulders. Elric, for his part, seemed not to notice the chill weather. His own cape flapped behind him. He wore breeks of deep blue silk, a high-collared shirt of black silk, a steel breastplate, lacquered, a, a gleaming black like his helmet, and embossed with patterns of delicate silverwork. Behind his saddle were deep panniers, and across this was a bow and a quiver of arrows. At his side swung the huge runesword, Stormbringer, the source of his strength and his misery, and on his right... There was a long dirk, presented him by Queen Yashana of Jacor. Moonglum bore a similar bow and quiver. On each hip was a sword, one short and straight, the other long and curved, after the fashion of the men of Elhwer, his homeland. Both blades were in scabbards of beautifully worked Ilmioran leather, embellished with stitching of scarlet and gold thread. Together the pair looked, to those who had not heard of them, like free-travelling mercenaries who had been more successful than most in their chosen careers. Their horses bore them tirelessly through the countryside. These were tall Shazarian steeds, known all over the young kingdoms for their stamina and intelligence. After several weeks, cooped up in the hold of the Tarkashite ship, they were glad to be moving again. Now small villages... Squat houses of stone and thatch came in sight, but Elric and Moonglum were careful to avoid them. Lormir was one of the oldest of the young kingdoms, and much of the world's history had been made there. Even the Malnabonaeans had heard the tales of Lormir's hero of ancient times, Albeck of Malador, who was said to have carved new lands from the stuff of chaos that had once existed at the world's edge. But... Lormi had long since declined from her peak of power, though still a major nation of the southwest, and had mellowed into a nation that was at once picturesque and cultured. Elric and Moonglum passed pleasant farmsteads, well-nurtured fields, vineyards and orchards in which the golden-leaved trees were surrounded by time-worn, moss-grown walls. A sweet land and a peaceful land in contrast to the rawer, bustling northwestern nations of Jarkor, Tarkesh, and Derajor, in which they had left behind. Moonglum gazed around him as they slowed their horses to a trot. Thaleb Khanna could work much mischief here, Alric. I am reminded of the peaceful hills and plains of Elfwear, my own land. Elric nodded. 
Lormia's years of turbulence ended when she cast off Malnibane's shackles and was first to proclaim herself a free nation. I have a liking for this restful landscape. It soothes me. Now we have another reason for finding the sorcerer before he begins to stir his brew of corruption. Moonglum smiled quietly. Be careful, my lord, for you are once again succumbing to those soft emotions you so despise. Alric straightened his back. Come, let's make haste for Eosars. Now, the sooner we reach the city with a decent tavern and a warm fire, the better. Moonglove. Moonglum drew his cape tighter about his thin body. Then pray that the sorcerer's soul is soon sent to limbo, Master Moonglum, for then I'll be content to sit before the fire all winter long if it suits you. And Elric made his horse break into a sudden gallop as grey evening closed over the tranquil hills. <laughs>